It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. All right. Welcome back to Money for Lunch. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for stopping by. A quick shout out. I want to say thank you to Lizzie T. Lizzie T., uh, she went to dominatingyourmind.com, dominatingyourmind.com, and she picked up my book, uh, and she got it for free. So if, if you are interested in crushing your fears, destroying your doubts, and becoming unstoppable, go to dominatingyourmind.com and check out uh, my book. Like I said, it's free. Uh, you pay a little bit of shipping and handling. You get the book for free, and uh, or you can go to Amazon, get the book, and I think you pay... 20 bucks plus some shipping and handling. So I will save you some $20, uh, $20 and you will be able to uh, crush your fears, destroy your doubts and really feel unstoppable. All right, let's get the party started uh, with the quote of the day. You need to think outside the box. You need to think differently if you want to sustain what for me is my peak performance. The very best that I can achieve as an athlete every day, quote by Tom Brady. You need to think outside the box. You need to think differently if you want to sustain what for me is my peak performance. The very best that I can achieve as an athlete every day. Great quote from Tom Brady. All right, let's jump into it. My guest today, Lewis Carter. Lewis Carter is the CEO and president of Best Practice Institute a benchmark research consortium, association and management consulting firm. His books include Change Champions, Best Practices, and Best Practices in Talent Management. He has lectured at universities and institutions worldwide and has appeared in Fast Company, Investors Business Daily, Business Watch Magazine, and more. His news book is Great Company. I'm sorry, let's try that again. His news book is In Great Company. How to Achieve Peak Performance by Creating an Emotionally Connected Workplace. How to Achieve Peak Performance by Creating an Emotionally Connected Workplace. Lewis Carter, welcome to Money for Lunch. Thanks for having me, Bert. I appreciate it. This is great. Great to be here. I'm, I'm excited to have you here. I, I'm a big believer in, uh, in uh, what do you call it, uh, being emotionally connected. So I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm... I'm dying to have our conversation. I've been thinking about this all week. So first of all, let me ask you, I ask this of all my authors, um, why write this book? What was the inspiration? Yeah, my original inspiration was really, it came from uh, being in New York City during graduate school um, on 9-11. So my, my first day at graduate school, is I was awakened not by my alarm clock because I forgot to uh, to set my alarm clock. I was awakened by the first plane hitting the tower in uh, World Trade Center. So that, that changed my perspective on life, uh, not just mine, but uh, millions of others and around the world. And uh, it started me on a, a path uh, that looked more deeply at human nature, how we achieve, how we stay in community, and really how important it is to be with each other 
in 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 tr- trying times and times of conflict instead of really running away because there's two things we can do we can fight or we can flight and uh after that that uh, happened i did as any great uh, red-blooded american would do i i uh, i started a drum circle <laughs> so uh I started a drum circle. I've been a drummer for 40 years. And uh, I'll tell you, there was nothing like bringing people together in a drum circle and letting go of what their fears were, letting go of the things that they were most afraid of in their lives and, and the things that they had lost, and just focusing on being together and clearing their minds. And I extended it to Fortune 500s because I've been working with them for years. And they were also very uh, sort of saddened and upset and a lot of loss. So I brought them together and created a benchmark research consortium because I know they didn't want to drum in drum circles. It was this one thing they didn't want to hear. Uh, they did They did want to create research. So uh, when, when I asked them, you want to do a research consortium, I said, yes. I said, how about drum circles? Uh, no. So uh, that's for other people, not them. So a 9-11 right, so, was my impetus for creating it. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so i got to ask you about the drum circle. Walk me through this. It's what, uh, you and – and a bunch of people, uh, are we are we uh, dressed in regular clothes, or do we have a uh, loincloth on? I mean, uh, what's this drum circle like? Come as you are. Um, so that, that's an important part, come as you are. Um, so, you know, this is, a, this is the campus of Columbia University. So, and, uh, so we're talking, you know, students. We're talking, you know, anybody who wanted to join in the Upper West Side. Um, you know, there was – across the street was Cleopatra's Needle Jazz Bar. So we had musicians. We had – you know, we had people from, you know, Harlem, people from all around Upper West, the East and Central, all, all around coming, you know, together um, during a really trying time. And downtown, too. Uh, you know, downtown was, was a rough place to come from at that time. But sure. So, so but, but, uh, you know, and they came, people come together. Um, when you're in a drum circle, you have basically one thing. You have uh, drums all about heartbeat, and it's about coming together under one uh, – under one auspice of being in, in the same drum beat, literally. Uh, and you can riff off of it, and there's dancing in the middle, and there's usually some sort of fire as well, which is interesting. What's interesting, though, about drum circles is that, and, and replicable is that, it's the connection piece. And when you're able, like you're talking about um, sort of the football analogy of you know, being in it and fully in it and facing your fear and walking into it, that's what that's what it's about is about walking into your fear, doing what you're not used to and not uncomfortable doing, and um, and and no matter what, um, you know, reaping the rewards because either through, the, through your failure or success, um, learning will come from it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's amazing. I like that. I like that. Um, all right. So, what is, in your opinion, what is emotional connectedness? Yeah, so, so EC, if anybody on the, on the line has heard of emotional intelligence, um, you, you, uh, I'll explain a little bit about EC. So EC is, uh, is EI squared, and I'll tell you why. Because EI, emotional intelligence, talks about really regulating our emotions and saying, well, I'm, you know, something just happened really horrible to me, and in the back of our brain is this, this uh, little almond-shaped-sized organ called the amygdala, and the amygdala is responsible for your fight or flight a response and it just inflames. So we, we call it an amygdala hijack, and uh, 
it's a lizard brain takes over and we have to make the decision of whether or not we can calm that down and we and then move to our prefrontal cortex which is responsible for decision making so an amygdala hijacked constantly will reduce your your uh will reduce any great decisions from occurring in your prefrontal cortex so when you have that uh learned skill it's a learned skill to really relax, to think through it, to not fight or flight, but to be in it and work it so that you can make better decisions. And you combine that with empathy, which is the understanding of what the other person or other side is going through, and begin a process of really understanding, like truly understanding what, how other people collaborate, how their what their values are, how they want to be respected, how they come into being, how they create a, a a positive future for themselves and others and how your life is better as a result of having them in it, you you start to have this this emotional connectedness framework that goes just beyond the competency of rela- regulating emotions and feeling empathy and be, being in relationship with someone and a team and organization that really achieves something larger than you could have imagined. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm a big believer in that whole emotional thing. I think that it has been um, labeled incorrectly, uh, especially in business. You know, we don't want to get too emotional. I mean, uh, and I get that, but things like intuition or a gut feeling, these are emotions that really serve us well. And, and I think that they're completely overlooked. And there are, I don't know, I've interviewed scores and scores of very successful people. And when I've asked him, why did you do this versus that? And he said, well, this felt good to me. This felt right. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very valuable skill. It is. And we think of MBTI and you have ENTP or INTJ and all these things we do differently. So some are some people are introverts, some are extroverts, some are more intuitive, some are more feeling, some are more thinking, some are more judging. And you know, intuition is super important inside of our you know, in our relationships and we can't discount that intuition. It's because it's it's such an important aspect. The the question is within emotional intelligence is when you have an intuition, do you test it? Do you ask mm. to find out what's happening to the person? So, you know, I, I've had several times when I'm, I'm standing up in front of a crowd and I'm sitting, I'm standing there and I see somebody on their, their phone and I'm thinking, oh, they, they're not listening to me. And I, I go up, I went up to the person after. I said, hey, why were you on a phone the entire time? He said, I'm so sorry. You know, my wife's in labor. <laughs> he said, well, why don't you go to her in labor? I said, I had no idea. I thought you were being rude. Okay, so can you imagine this man was he was sitting there in this room, right? And I was waiting for the end of the time to be polite. <laughs> he was waiting for that his wife was in labor. I said, get out of here. So, you know, it's those kinds of, I had this, this initial intuition that was like he's being rude, but the reality was not not the same. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's funny. I, I think that's uh, that's a great example of if your spouse is in labor, you probably shouldn't be any place. <laughs> now, of course, 
uh, you know, maybe it was an unexpected situation. Maybe he thought, hey, I'm just going to be gone for that, you know, and I'll be, you know, and, and maybe when she went into labor a little bit early, but, and I don't know, maybe he was an out-of-towner, so there's no way that he can, you know, get back anytime soon, but that is kind of crazy. And, uh, yeah, yeah that, that's funny. That that's, It just goes to show you humans. Um, but I like what you said there about checking that intuition, uh, because that is important. It's important to understand what's going on because we as humans make up these stories in our mind. This person is being rude when they they weren't. Uh, and maybe I would say maybe he was being rude. Maybe he should have just gotten up and gone to the back of the cl- uh, back of the room or whatever. He probably wasn't just annoying you. He's probably annoying uh, people sitting next to him as well. Uh, but you know, it, it's so funny. I uh, again, a, as humans. When there's, for example, uh, no communication, mm-hmm. we fill in the blank. And we usually don't fill in that blank with good, positive energy, right? It's like, man, this person's a jerk. He's ignoring me or she's ignoring me. And then you find out, oh, they, they had this issue. You know, there was a family emergency or something like that was going on. And and I've come to realize when something, quote, is not going the way I want it. You know, it's, again, somebody's ignoring me. And if I just relax and kind of let it go, you know, maybe they are ignoring me because they have crap going on. And, you know, and, and for whatever reason, my message is not a priority. You know, just relax and, and uh, just go on to something else. And, and I find that. Ninety percent of the time, that person reaches out. They usually apologize because this or that. But the most important thing is, is I don't lose any sleep. I don't lose any energy over it. Absolutely, and, and you know, they, there's a great saying: is when you're in your 30s, you really care about what other people think of you. In your 40s, well, you start to not care, and then you're in your 50s, and you realize, well, no one was thinking about you in the first place. <laughs> so, <laughs> so chances are. When, <laughs> right when you're up there, it's like it's the it's the 98, 99, one percent, two percent rule, which is 98 percent of the things that you worry about never happen. The other one, two, one percent, two percent, don't matter. And it's really true. And I've seen that. You know, whenever you're up in a crowd or you're working with people, if you hit a 80 percent uh, approval rating inside of a room, you're a rock star. If you hit 40 to 50 percent, you're still a rock star in my mind. So if you could talk to 40 percent of the room, maybe change, you know, I don't know, change one to two minds. It doesn't, it's, that's fine. You know, t- to me, it's about, you know, one person at a time. How much can you really help somebody to realize something? Did you hit them in the right moment? Were they about to do something or had something on their mind that changed them in that moment? And what was that like? You know, I don't, do you know today? Did you know today is National Change Day or uh, Take a Chance Day? I don't know if you saw that. It's kind of interesting, I, isn't it? I, I did not know that. Um, it's yeah. Today it's, it's today's National Take a Chance Day. So you know this kind of thing where you know we're, we have this option to to take a chance and try something new that we perhaps would not have done before. And you know, it, it it takes a lot of courage to do that. You know, and because you have, like you said, assumptions. What's really happening around me? Are people thinking bad things? 
and by nature, we really do think that. By nature, people are scared, they're fearful, and their amygdala overflows. That's who we are as people, and there's nothing wrong with that. We learn to, We have to accept it, and we're not all these brave soldier creatures that exist. Even soldiers that I've talked to admit that, have been talking to me. They say, I am just as fearful of this, and I said, that fear is great. Embrace it. Know that you can use it. It, it, within your in, within the theater, the operating theater. I just talked to a head of a squadron last night from Canada, and we were talking about how he uses fear inside of the operating theater and what, what he does to to really motivate his squadron. And in the beginning, and how does how does he actually get involved with them, connect with them, understand them on a daily basis, and the people with whom he's actually engaging with, um, which is even more interesting. So. You know this, that fear, that taking a chance, is so important in emotional connectedness and in the discussion we're having right now. Sure. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I just. Uh, all right. So so let's move on. Let, let's talk about this because I, I love this idea of this emotional connectedness. So, give me your thoughts. Why is emotional connectedness so important at work? I mean, isn't this the place where you're supposed to be professional and not so emotional? It's actually the opposite of being emotional. It, um, mm. it, you're allowed to be emotional and, exp- and express how you are, saying, hey, you know what? I, this just doesn't work for me. This isn't working. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? That kind of thing. <laughs> so right. you have to say to yourself, okay, it's like, calm down. Think about this. What can I do? Am I safe even being like that inside of an environment and sharing what I don't know? Because catastrophe can happen when you don't. That's the number two thing. So number one is if I don't share information and I don't share how I am and in the moment, catastrophe could happen. Number two, catastrophe does happen. So when does it happen? Well, it's happened historically at 9-11, lack of information between CIA FBI, NASA disaster with the Challenger. There's a myriad of examples when information was not shared for fear of, of, ret- of retribution So, and attribution. So I think the, the, real, the real necessity around why emotional connectedness is so important at work is because when you don't feel, we call it psychologically safe, to share information or, or data – be it an emotional response or information itself, then we have catastrophes. Um, I, one of my employees is, is an ex-Coast Guard commander, and one of my, he's my SVP, and he tells his story of when uh, one, of his, uh, one of his ships almost ran, ran aground, and in, in a uh, expedition, they're taking an al- in Alaska. So he, the, everybody was really nice to each other, and they you know, walked on eggshells. They didn't say anything to each other. So it, his, the guy at the helm, what, he was, he kept going straight, 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 straight. Everyone was like, "Yeah, everything's good. We're not looking at anything." All of a sudden, there's an, in, there's, there's ice. The ground is about like two feet up ahead in draft. They're like, "So, Greg, <laughs> the, Greg, he's SVP of my company." He said, he, and he screams like, "You're gonna run around, ground, a ground, a ground!" Everyone starts yelling. They're like, "Why didn't you say anything?" They're like, "Because we're trying to be nice to each other." <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> so the, just yelling and, and t- saying something needs to happen took walking in eggshells from a really potentially catastrophic situation to saving people's lives. Yeah, and and I love this. I'm glad you brought that up because, what do you call it, the 
the whole idea of niceness, this is a great example of how niceness can be taken to such an absurd level. There wouldn't have been anything wrong, and you're not being unnice or unkind to say, hey, you know, it looks like up ahead you may have to make some uh, changes to the course or something, right? I mean, or if the situation warrants it, you say, hello, you know, hey, up front or whatever, you know, watch out. Uh, again, you're not being unkind. You're not being rude. Sometimes it's just you got to get somebody's attention. And, Absolutely. And, you know, it's just what you need to do. There's just – anyway, so, so – uh, I like this idea of being emotionally connected, but not necessarily emotional. <laughs> exactly. You don't have to be emotional to be emotionally connected. You have to really understand what the goals are, how to collaborate together, right? How to, how to, keep, right. How to give advice when it's needed. <laughs> how to understand how you want to be respected, how I want to be respected, and what our, what our mutual outcomes are. Call it SPARK. How to spark an emotional connection, and it doesn't have to be being emotional. It has to be a, really clear about what we're accomplishing together, so that you can yell, "We're going to go ground <laughs> at any point in time," <laughs> and not feel like you've been slighted. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I love that. I think that's, uh, and I think also speaking of. Uh, you know, I think that if you feel just because somebody. I don't know, yelled at you for a second. You got to, again, look at that. Uh, and, and you know, uh, sometimes I think that we are too sensitive, right? I mean, look, mm-hmm. nobody likes to be yelled at, but you got to take it into context. Is this person yelling at you to save your life or is he, being, or is he yelling at you to be rude? Uh, there's a huge difference. And sometimes... It- just because, uh, and I, I'll speak for myself. You know what? If I'm feeling, for lack of better terms, I'll use the word unempowered, weak, hmm. I'm, I'm going to filter things differently that when I'm confident and empowered, right? Hmm. I mean, so sometimes you got to just realize that I, anyway, and I want your thoughts on this, is that sometimes you got to realize that maybe just being a little sensitive. <laughs> it, it really is, and and you know, there's cultural differences and cultural indicators to that, because by nature we like other people who are like us or who are like what we want to be, right? Yes. <laughs> so yes, those, that's just by nature. That's what we are. We like a mirrors of ourselves in the in the beginning, or mirrors of an even more incredible self. So <clears throat> that that we always aspire to. So. You know, and then in New York or other places, perhaps people, you know, we, we stereotype, we say, in New York, they tell it like it is, right? In the South, right. we, we, we make things a little bit, uh, you know, a little calmer, a little bit more friendly, right? So, you know, what if in any situation it was taken differently? You know, in those two vastly, <laughs> those vast uh, over-stereotypes, which are not always true, right? So, right. The question, yeah, they're not always true. So, so, you know, we have to think about the context with which we are being honest and how to be honest in those contexts. So, 
perhaps in a New York environment, you really do have to yell, yell out and say something like that more often. And it may be the way they, that people uh, honor respect, that kind of honesty is how they honor respect. Maybe in the South it's about using different words or di- diplomacy in the way that you share that information. It may even have the same speed or rapidity to it, and people may not notice it in the same way. So I, I, I think that's really about I, – I know that's what really what's important about this is that you should you, – people need to change their their emotional connectedness response to their cultural uh, situation. Yeah. No, absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. Uh, all right. So we're talking with Lewis Carter, the book, In Great Company, How to Achieve Peak Performance by Creating an Emotionally Connected Workplace, uh, available at Amazon or wherever your favorite books are sold. Um, all right, so what are your key learn? Yeah, what are some of the things that you learned from your research? What are some of your key learnings from your research? Well, there's, a, there's a couple things that are, are stand out. Um, one of the things that, that changes people's minds, especially in HR and a bunch of CEOs, and they think about this differently, is that, is that number one, there's the retention issue is really in, in, no longer irrelevant. <laughs> so um, it, it's changed dramatically. And why is it changed dramatically? Because there's only two percent, two percent of people actually actually care enough about their own functional relationships to leave a company when they know that they hate it or they're in really bad relationships inside their company. Only 2%. This is true of society, too. Very few people actually make that move to leave and, and have courage enough to leave a really dysfunctional relationship. Another 98%, well, they stay, they cash their paychecks, and they make everybody's life you know, a living hell. So you know, think about that in the context of relationships, it's the same thing. So we sh- what we need to do is shift our retention mindset to a, a mindset of of peak performance of emotional connection being so that we can have really functional relationships inside of our companies because the real big learning in this and we looked over 3,000 employees in different regions of the globe and what we saw was you know without doubt was that people really cared about feeling respected inside the workplace. Now, that's, that may sound like not that you know, huge of, a, of an awakening, but we compared it, though, to the things that they don't care about as much. And they were comp, bend, salary, perks, fancy foosball tables, ping pong tables, slides in the cafeteria. They don't care about it. They don't want it. They think it's superficial. They don't care about having friends. They just want that feeling of respect like Jackie Robinson said he says like I'm not asking you to be my friend I just ask that you respect me you know and people want that they they want to be in their theater or their or their field or their work and they want to and they want to do their work with respect and they and they want to feel like they can do it to the best of their ability and if they can't they want to help, have help so they can become an expert in it from people who want to help them gotcha gotcha okay that's interesting yeah yeah, I'm trying to think. Can you respect somebody? You have to. I think you have to like people to respect them, but not necessarily be their friend. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. All right. Um, so let me ask you this: and What it, are the top? And, go ahead. And the research is is against that. Like, if you like, let's say 
I'll tell you some other research. So Gallup said Gallup had some research that came out that's really well documented. I mean, it's incredible statistics, millions of people. That's Gallup, who, right? Who, who could you? Right, how could right. you? you know, not think Gallup was true. So, so what they said was that friendship was really important for engagement of people, and that's actually absolutely true. That's what people said. They said, "I really want to have friends at work. That's important to me to feel engaged." What we did, we we looked a little bit differently at it, and I said, I said, well, how do you, how are you going to feel committed? It's different. They call effective commitment. How are you going to feel committed? How are you going to feel another thing called psychologically safe? And then how are you going to feel like you're really doing your very best? So that there were three different things, and and, and so we didn't say we didn't say the things that you'd like to have to be more engaged in your work. We said the things that you need to have to feel more committed more safe in sharing information and being yourself to peak perform different things. And it, friendship didn't come up there because people said, well, I want to be friends to feel more in order to feel more engaged in my work, regardless of how well I do. doesn't matter how well you do an engagement. Engagement talks about how much you're doing your job, not how much you're actually performing on your job. It doesn't look at performance at all. It just says, are you doing it? Are you engaged in it? Right? right. They're two different things. So, so we said, great, Gallup, we love you, incredible information, let's go to the next level. We're going to use some psychological uh, concepts, for uh, psychological safety and effective commitment, to really underscore this, this uh, key indicator of, of peak performance. That's, yeah, that's interesting. I like that. I like that. Um, what would you say, what are the top things that employers need to stop in order, in order to create a more emotionally connected workplace? Well, there's something called the – it's a success delusion. <laughs> so I can't tell you how many CEOs, companies I've talked to that say, we're really successful and we're already doing really well. Look at me. I've made – you know, I've, I've done great on, on, on these awards. I've become you know, top places to work. I'm Inc. 500. And like, look at me, flex my muscles, make a case study out of me. So right away, I know they're probably going to have a downturn in the next five years, and they always do. They always leave the company, or something happens internally where they're not—they're only looking at their successes in front of them, look, not even looking an inch in the rearview mirror. And they're, so they're—they're only—they're—they're they're basically saying, "Well, I'm done. I've succeeded. Just look at me, and I'm amazing." Okay, so that's the number one thing. You, you have to look at where you've been, how you got through to your success, the struggles you got through, and the people with which you're going to build your future. Because without that, you're basically looking at a failure in front of you. So when you're successful, always know that you can get better. That's number one, so the, the success delusion. Number two is really how you get better. And we, we do it through stakeholder-centered work. So using your stakeholders as the people who give you that advice to get better, choosing them wisely, people who really are people, – people are your employees who help you, people who employees who challenge you who move you to decisions, who sometimes support you, who who are able to give you a mirror unto yourself and are able to be your the people who really are are there on a consistent basis to be your accountability partners. So and, and when something goes down, something's not right, you go to them and you apologize. <laughs> and they help you also to communicate to larger uh, segments of employees. These are your champions and, and they're super important to 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 uh, have on your team. Man, yeah, I like that. I like that. Let me ask you this. What about recognition in the workplace? Does it play a 
an important role? I got a great friend. His name is uh, Bob Nelson. He, he wrote Thousand and One Ways to Reward Employees. Great book. And um, I do think it does play a role. You know, rewards are, are very important um, to, to um, just re- just recognizing what somebody has gone through and what they've achieved. Um, I think it's an important role. I really do. I, you know, I, I think it, it has to be in context and it has to be meaningful. It can't be trite. It can't be superficial. It has to really truly have meaning to that person and to many others so you know when it's when it's connected to other people who have helped that person achieve what they're going to achieve or that person helped others to achieve what they're going to achieve it it becomes a very meaningful reward and recognition and uh you know tied to compensation and benefits of course somebody you know somebody uh helps significantly land in a deal they should be compensated appropriately to 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 according to contract. I mean that that's understood. The the, the other is a little more, uh, I say, qualitative or or difficult to measure, and it really has to be meaningful. And it could be it could be a, it really is a hero's journey, if you will, kind of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey has to be applied to seeing that person, and uh, you know go from a place of 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 really. Of, I wouldn't say failure, but you could say failure to triumph. You have to really see that that um, that happen. Gotcha. No, I like that. Um, we are out of time, uh, Lewis. I want to say thank you so much for stopping by and sharing. I've had a blast having you on the show today. I, I've had a great time too. Thank you for having me. I really I appreciate it very much. Thank you. You bet. Good stuff there from Lewis Carter. The book again is called. In Great Company, How to Achieve Peak Performance by Creating Emotionally Connected Workplace, available at Amazon or where your favorite books are sold. I'll put a link in the notes as well. As always, my friends, let's share this episode with as many people as we know. Let's help as many people create a more emotionally connected workplace. As always, my friends, remember you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch and check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.